Uh, we've seen the, the little film about the Cambridge Seven. Mission can mean many things. And in OMF, we, uh, we're constantly asking ourselves, what is our mission? Well, we believe our mission should grow out of our, our vision, the vision that God has given us to see indigenous biblical church movements in every people group in East Asia. This is a huge vision. Indigenous biblical church movements. There are many, many people groups right across East Asia, of course. The Han Chinese is the largest. But there are thousands of people groups in different places. And we long to see them not only come to faith in Christ, but to grow in maturity as disciples of Christ so that they are obedient uh, as God calls each of us obedient to follow his will and uh, to reach out in mission to their own people and to other peoples around. This is what we mean by a church uh, movement, something that is active, something that's growing as God leads and empowers by his spirit that the, the movement of God's people will reach out to those who do not know him. And if there's one word that sums up what we long to see, I think the word disciples of Christ, disciple, is, is a word that encompasses this, this vision. So, as I say, not just uh, bringing people to faith in Christ, foundational as that is, but also encouraging people to be um, disciples of Jesus. So this is our theme for this morning and uh, the passage uh, Hui Li has just read to us uh, I think is a very good place to start. If we want to learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how we can encourage others to become disciples it's good to go to our master, the master discipler, Jesus. Now I think you could say that uh, Mark's Gospel is an account of how Jesus discipled his followers. So the passage we're looking at today is just um, a snapshot, one part of this process of discipling. But I think there's some very rich things there that uh, can help us. But before we start, I just want us to pray together. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, through your Word and by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us now, we pray, and open our hearts to more of what it means for us to be your disciples and to lead others to be your disciples, so that you may be glorified. Amen. So Mark uh, chapter 6, we're in the middle of Mark's account, uh, his gospel. And uh, I just want us to look at three of Jesus' sayings to his disciples that we've just heard read. In verse 31, come with me by yourselves 
to a quiet place and get some rest. Then in verse 37, you give them something to eat. And lastly in verse 50, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now I think uh, there have been many misrepresentations about the disciples. Perhaps we tend to think of them as what they became in their maturity as Luke presents them in the Acts of the Apostles, for instance. But as you read the Gospels, and including Mark's account, uh, we, we realise that actually they were very ordinary people. Just in their backgrounds, how they behaved with each other, the rivalries, the tensions between them, how they responded to Jesus. So these were very ordinary young men doing ordinary jobs, typical of the people that Jesus grew up with in Galilee. In fact, as you know, the first four disciples that Jesus called were all fishermen, working in their family businesses. Now this probably meant that they had already been passed over as potential rabbis. Like all men uh, in those days, they would have been trained in the Torah, in the law, as boys. But only those who stood out as being exceptionally gifted were then selected for further training uh, to become rabbis. So these disciples probably had not met the grade, as it were, and that's why they were fishing in their boats. So the only qualification they had to be Jesus' disciples was that they accepted his call to follow him. Here was a rabbi that they had heard about and perhaps had already heard him speak and seen him do uh, miraculous signs and now he was asking them to follow him. But the disciples were ordinary people and this is what makes their story so relevant to us. We can put ourselves in their shoes and learn from them something of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So I want you to imagine Mark as uh, a reporter, maybe on the Straits Times or something. Um, he has just come back from Judea. He's walking into this church and he wants to tell us the latest news that he has put together from eyewitness accounts. His report is short and it's full of vivid detail. There's an excitement about it. He wants us to catch the wonder of what has happened in Judea and to explain why it's such good news for us. So here in chapter 6, Mark is telling us uh, what happened after the disciples had returned from their first mission trip which was to go out in pairs to the neighbouring villages to preach repentance from sin, to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Things had gone really well for them 
and they gather around Jesus full of what had happened, what they had done and taught and what God had done through them. But a lot of other people were also crowding around Jesus. So, we come to the first of Jesus' sayings that I want us to look at. In verse 31, he said to the disciples, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Well, of course, this was just what they wanted. How good to go with Jesus to a quiet place and have him all to themselves. To have a full debriefing session with him, share a meal together and then get some rest. Perfect. And we all need these places, these special places, quiet places. The word translated here as quiet place and elsewhere as desert or wilderness is one of Mark's favourite words. This is the Greek word eremos, from which we get the English word hermit. It was where the people went to be baptised by John. And it's where Jesus often went to pray to his Father. I wonder if we too need to rediscover this idea of a quiet place. A place set apart where we can go to be with Jesus. Especially when we are facing big challenges or need to make key decisions in our lives. Not easy in Singapore, I know, but I, I think it's possible. In Psalm 62, David wrote that his soul finds rest in God alone. The rest that David was talking about and the rest that Jesus was offering his disciples was not so much about having a break from activity but the rest that can only come from drawing near to God and resting in him. So, this is what the disciples were looking forward to, going to a quiet place to be with Jesus. But then something unexpected happened. And this often happens in Mark. The, Jesus is going somewhere and then some, something happens that um, seems to be unexpected. And here a whole crowd of 5,000 or more, probably a lot more, came looking for Jesus. And as so often, Jesus responded to what looked like a distraction and transformed it into something extraordinary and significant. Here he demonstrates his amazing love, not just for the 12 disciples, but for all people and especially for the poor and the lost. Mark says in verse 34 that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Here in this quiet place, Jesus was shepherding not just his disciples, but all those who had come to him. But the disciples were worried about other things. It was late and they and the people were hungry and far from home. How were they all going to eat? 
they bring this problem to Jesus and he says to them in verse 37 you give them something to eat here is the second saying that I want to look at with you not only has Jesus apparently forgotten his offer of rest he now commands his disciples to do the seemingly impossible to feed 5,000 or more people you can almost hear them muttering how, how are we going to do that they complain it will take 8 months wages to feed so many it's late, they're tired there's nowhere to buy food and so on but then Jesus gently leads them to start with what they've got and not think about what they lack how many loaves do you have go and see do you see how Jesus gets them to focus on what they already have been given and shows them then how they can trust him for the rest of what is needed they do exactly what he says so they can't imagine how this will help all credit to them for their obedience see how they trust Jesus enough to do what he commanded even though it didn't make sense to him them so they bring the five loaves and the two fishes to Jesus who gave thanks broke the loaves and gave them with the fish to the disciples to set before the people here Jesus is anticipating the last supper when he again gave thanks and broke the bread he was demonstrating his willingness to bring everything he had to his father even his life and allow it to be broken for our sakes but here in Galilee he was also demonstrating very practical acts of loving service to his disciples and we cannot separate evangelism from love of our neighbour in our walk of faith Jesus was concerned to teach the crowd many things as their shepherd but he was also concerned for their physical well-being so what does this mean for our walk of faith along with the great commission to go and make disciples Jesus gave us the promise that he is with us always to the close of the age it is he who enables us to follow him and to obey what he has commanded us to do Hudson Taylor who founded our mission as the China Inland Mission once said that unless there is an element of risk in what we attempt for God there is no need for faith Jesus wants us to go beyond our own capabilities and comfort zones to bring all that we are all that we have to him offer them back to him and allow him to use them for his glory to do more than we can do or imagine in Luke's gospel Jesus says what is impossible with man is possible with God it's not our faith that makes things happen it's Christ who chooses to work through our faith 
to do his work. So, did the disciples get any rest? Not the kind that they expected. But the rest they received was much more valuable. Jesus was showing them that they could rest in him and stop doing things in their own strength. And they could trust him for everything. Even the strength and the food to feed such a large crowd. How does this speak to you? What does it mean for each of us to bring all that we are, all that we have, and let Jesus work through them and use it uh, for his kingdom purposes? I just want to share with you uh, one example that uh, I read recently, actually in an English newspaper, and praise, praise God that uh, even in the secular press in the UK, there is this testimony to God's grace. So you'll remember in Sichuan, uh, we've just had another earthquake. Um, in 2008, there was a very, very severe, uh, serious earthquake in, Swish, in, in Sichuan. And uh, here's an account from one uh, town close, close to the earthquake's epicenter, a place called Yanting Yunsi where a third of the townsfolk were left homeless after their houses collapsed. There were a number of churches in this town that survived the earthquake and they opened their doors to provide initially shelter for the homeless and then food for those who, who could not feed themselves. Then church members visited people who remained in their homes and set up trauma counselling for the survivors. Out of this came an explosion of church growth in this town. One church leader is quoted as saying, he is in no doubt why this happened. People were drawn to belief in the face of disaster. It's been amazing. It was the best way we could propagate the gospel. One of the new believers said, there was no Christianity where we lived. But for the first time, I felt the warmth of these people and their love. I had been totally shaken. But I found peace here. I lost everything my home and all my belongings. I felt terrible, but the church helped me get over it. That was my blessing. I'd say it was 100% worth it, losing everything to get my faith. In my most difficult moment, God found me and saved me. Now this church had a real vision for mission on its doorstep, caring for their neighbours with shelter, with food, counselling and the good news of salvation through faith in Christ thus showing the love of Christ both in deed and in word and mission is not just about going places many, uh, many of you will be called uh, sooner or later to serve God uh, in different places but I think we are all called to serve him as missionaries on our doorsteps as in Sichuan and I'm delighted to see in this um, 
bulletin from the Presbyterian Express, Mission at Our Front Door, a ministry to the Sri Lankan migrant workers in Singapore. Uh, I've been doing a number of building projects here uh, and elsewhere, and we realized that many of the workers, uh, there was a huge opportunity to minister to them. Uh, Tamil speakers, we invited a Tamil missionary to come and speak to our building workers, and many of them were encouraged by this and, and joined local churches. There are many opportunities on your doorstep. Mark's account does not end with the feeding of the 5,000. So I want us to go to the last section now. Immediately he tells us in verse 45, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. So, again, in obedience to Jesus' instructions, the disciples set out across the lake without him. Well, they weren't going to get any sleep that night, but at least they were in their comfort zone. They knew the lake intimately as fishermen, and they knew all about boats. But then the wind was against them, and they had to start rowing. Hard work. After all that had just happened, they must have been emotionally and physically exhausted. Jesus remains behind on the land. And we're told, Mark tells us, that he saw the disciples straining at the oars. Yet, he waited until the fourth watch of the night, between 3 and 6 a.m., almost at dawn before he went out to them. Why the delay? Was it because prayer to his heavenly Father was his priority? What happened next is very interesting. Mark tells us in verse 48, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, and he was about to pass by them. So, was he indifferent to the disciples' plight, rowing against the wind, and just intended to walk past and go over to the other side of the lake and let them continue to strain at the oars? Or was he waiting for them to recognize him and ask for his help? Or was he doing something much more profound? The phrase, he was about to pass by them, can also be understood in the sense that he showed himself to them. Just as the Lord passed by Moses on Mount Sinai, and again passed by Elijah in 1 Kings, here Jesus was demonstrating that not only is he the Messiah, the coming King, but also the Lord of all creation. He wanted the disciples, and us by extension, to look beyond our daily needs and concerns, to recognize who Jesus is, and to keep our eyes fixed on him as the Lord who reveals himself to us. There's a toughness 
about Jesus' love for his disciples. In verse 52 we read that they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Jesus still needed to reveal something more of who he was to his disciples. He wasn't concerned to make life easy for them. He wanted to stretch them, to show them more and more of who he is and what they could do if they trusted more in him and less in themselves. He was showing them that mission is not just about the kind of trip that they had made, the short-term trip to the neighbouring villages, but that it's a whole way of life that he calls each and every one of us to as his disciples. But he did all of this with the same compassion that he had shown to the crowd the previous evening. So in verse 50 he says to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And this is the third, the last thing that I want us to look at. The phrase translated here, it is I, is literally in the Greek, ego haimi, I am. It reminds us in a very direct way of the name Yahweh. I am who I am. That the Lord used for himself in his conversations with Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus. So Jesus is passing by the disciples and his reference to the name of the Lord came from his desire for his disciples to really understand who he was. And in Mark there's a very striking progression in the disciples' understanding of who Jesus was. In chapter 4, after Jesus had calmed the storm, they ask, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Here in chapter 6, Mark tells us that they still didn't understand about the loaves. But later, in this turning point in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 8, verse 27, when Jesus asked them, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter was then able to reply, you are the Christ. The more we get to know Jesus, the more wonderful he becomes. John, in his Gospel, testifies to this. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Peter, in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, bore similar testimony in his address to the crowd in Jerusalem. All Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. When Peter and John understood these things, they had come a long way from the young fishermen in the boat who wondered if they were seeing a ghost when Jesus walked across the lake. So too does Jesus want to work in each of our lives to reveal to us more of who he is and to disciple us so that we in turn will learn to live by faith and make him known in the world. One theological seminary that I've been working with in uh, Thailand 
which was founded by OMF a number of years ago, has a motto that sums this up, this life of faith, very well. To know Jesus and to make him known. This is part of the normal Christian life. This will mean many different things for each of us as God calls us. But if Jesus is our Lord, we have to put him first in all areas of our life. For instance, in our family life, all of us have to seek guidance from God about our priorities and our commitments. When Jesus called James and John to follow him, Mark tells us in chapter 1 verse 20, that they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. I think most of us have to wrestle with this kind of challenge sooner or later. When the Lord called Ruth and I into uh, OMF to leave England uh, 13 years ago, we had to think about what it would mean for Ruth's parents who would look after them if, if we were in Singapore? And our two sons, young adults starting out in life, who would encourage them to grow in their faith in the Lord? God cares about these things. And he answered our prayers in wonderful ways. This is about priorities. When we put the Lord first, he will honour our commitments and make provision for our families. On the cross, in his agony, Jesus was still able to demonstrate his concern for his family. So he says to Mary, Dear woman, here is your son, pointing at John, or rather indicating John in some way. And to John, here is your mother, so that from that time on John took her into his home. So we see Jesus' deep love in action. How much he cared about these things. And Ruth and I will always be grateful for a senior couple in our church back in England who mentored us as young Christians when we were newly married. They had given up many of the joys of family life to go as missionaries to Peru. And uh, when they retired back to England, they had this wonderful ministry of encouragement to people like us. And we know they prayed for us. And we went on long walks and we were encouraged to think of mission and so on. And we realise now that their prayers were answered in ways that perhaps they couldn't imagine, certainly we didn't imagine. And in a sense, we were part of their family in God. Uh, they had lost family members, but we were, we were part of this new family. And uh, we, we are so grateful to God for them. So one of the privileges of being part of a church is that we are blessed with opportunities to give and to receive this kind of love and encouragement. And these complement and enrich our family life.
Some of you may be facing challenges around what may look like competing commitments. Maybe God is calling you to give up something very precious to you. And maybe you're perplexed sometimes that God does not answer your prayers in a way that you would like him to. But as we listen to him and seek to put him first in all things, let's trust him for the rest that only he can give to us, the rest in him. Let's attempt impossible things for God as he leads. And let's take courage and not be afraid, knowing that Jesus is I am, who has overcome the world and who promises us that he will be with us always. May I encourage you this week to find an Eremos, a quiet place, and to read again Mark uh, chapter 6. Imagine, picture in your mind, being there with Jesus as one of his disciples. What it felt like to be elated after coming back from a very fruitful mission trip, but also tired and hungry. How you might have responded to what Jesus uh, said and did. Ask him to keep showing you more and more of what it means for you to be his disciple. Receive his tough love and his presence with you and then seek to make him known wherever he has called you to be his witness, trusting him to go before you and to empower you by his spirit. Amen.